chapter 8 again. Therefore, it's an important word. It begins a chapter that lays uh, grounding and foundation for us as God's people. And we've said that as you become a follower of Jesus, um, certain truths and things become real for you, become a reality for you. As we said last week, if you were a, 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 like when a superhero in a superhero movie discovers begins to discover for the first time that they have certain powers or abilities or privileges that come with being a superhero, uh, it's very similar. Is that as God's people, we discover uh, that there's more to the story than uh, just a decision that we've made. So I'm going to be reading in verses uh, 26 and 27. We're just going to continue on from where we left off last week. So hear the word of God. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows that the mind, excuse me, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word, infallible, inerrant. The 66 books, the Old and New Testament, are your revealed word to us, your revealed will of how we might know you and live according to how, to, how you would have us live. And so, Lord, this morning I pray you would teach us, you would encourage us, and more than anything, that we would see the beauty of your glory and your son Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. So, here in Romans, we've just been discovering the benefits and the blessings and potentially the challenges of what it means to be God's people. What it means to be a follower of Jesus. Or as Paul would put it, to be in Christ. And we've seen to be in Christ means that we're justified. We have never sinned. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We're also set free from from the the bondage and the slavery of sin and death. And we're given a new life to live in the Spirit, as Paul talks about it, which is not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So rejecting autonomy and self-sufficiency and... Not only that, we're adopted as his firstborn sons. Firstborn sons that we get the right to be heirs, fellow heirs with Christ. But we saw last week is that we will in that share in his sufferings. We will share in his sufferings. And not only that, we're going to have not just the suffering that this world brings, we saw last week, but a new kind of suffering. A a suffering that comes along with being in Christ. We share in His sufferings. We saw that those sufferings are going to be general sufferings in the world. They're going to be sufferings that we face as we battle that selfishness in our hearts and the sin and the flesh that dwells within us still. And we're going to face a suffering as we give ourselves away for others. And we live for Jesus. 
For example, we're going we're gonna to face suffering in this world. Um, uh, Amanda and I just faced a, a, a really that terrible feeling of being left out of something. And that sense of rejection, maybe even betrayal, when you see people doing something without you. And you know why. Because they don't want you there because they know what you're about. We know why they don't. It's not they don't. Part of it's like, maybe they don't like us. Maybe we're not fun enough. Maybe we're not whatever enough. But the re- reality is, we're about Jesus. And they don't want to bring Jesus to the party sometimes. And that left us out. And man, that hurts. Even though we know why, it still hurts. So we're going to face suffering. We're going to feel the rejection and the insult. In that, I, I, have to, I couldn't stop but think and say, think about it and like, have to relate it to Jesus and think, man, Jesus, he came to his own people, and his own people left him out. They rejected him. And that's what he felt his whole life, the sense of rejection, that he would come as the uh, second person of the Trinity, the, in, uh, who had called Israel his own, and they had rejected him. Man, that kind of pain is not fun. It's a suffering. And it's a suffering we're going to face uh, as God's people. We are going to face suffering in our lives. And so, if we are in Christ, we are adopted as God's children. And in that, we are also going to share in the sufferings of Christ. So, the question, and, and Paul begins, began to answer this question. So, how do we live in the midst of that suffering reality that we're in? And last week we saw hope. How do we handle suffering? We have a hope that doesn't compare. He had us compare. We would consider our lives differently than before. We would say that this momentary suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. And in that, there's hope. And, and when you're suffering and you're going through tough stuff and you know there's a positive end, you know there's some meaning even though you may not know it, and you know that God is going to be glorified and that He's doing all this for your good, it makes it easier, doesn't it? But there's more to it than that. So how do we endure the suffering that we're going to inevitably face? First of all is hope. And this week we're going to see that there's help. There's hope, and then there's help. And the help that comes, we see in this passage, is that the Holy Spirit helps us in our suffering by interceding for us to the Father. He's going to come on our our behalf before the Father on our behalf. He's going to come into our lives and go before the Father for us. And so, I want to ask three questions about that. And we'll explain what it means. First of all, why in the world would we need this kind of help? Why would we need intercession? Why would we need this intercession? And then we're going to also ask why, how he does this and what does that mean? So first of all, how, why do we need the intercession of the Spirit? Why? Well, in all that suffering that we face, reality is... We see it clearly here in this text. We're weak. We're weak. We do not like that term, though, do we? 
I, uh, I was reading uh, uh, something on a, a bodybuilders.com or something. It was talking about how to build your chest as a, you know, a guy. And it was going through, okay, you, you, know, uh, you know, what kind of methods are you doing? Are you drinking protein? All these things. And then the last thing he says, you might just be weak. And he had to say, I know you don't want to hear that, but you just might need to, to train a little bit longer. And it takes years to build up strength and whatever and to do this. And he said, you might just be weak, but just to hear that, you're like, Ugh, I'm not weak. I don't want to be weak. We, we hate the idea of being weak in our culture. Weakness in our culture is something we want to avoid. It's something that we want to, to hide at the least. And so, for example, uh, Jesse Ventura... Uh, I think he was a governor at one point, uh, big macho kind of guy. He he didn't he rejected Christianity, saying Christianity's just a crutch. But if you think about it, Christianity's more than a crutch. It's more like a stretcher. Because w- the reality is, we're called and and we're told that we are weak, but culturally, we don't like that because our, our culture looks down upon weakness. Um, G.I. Packer in his book on weakness recalls a uh, Peanuts comic strip. Remember this comic strip? Well, uh, Lucy sees Charlie Brown, who's looking pretty down and kind of, you know, he was always kind of down a downer. You know, he was always struggling with something. And she, she um, sees him, more, you know, down and asks him, what are you worried about, Charlie? What's going on? And he says, I feel inferior. Oh, says Lucy, you shouldn't worry about that. Lots of people have that feeling. And he kind of brightens up and he says, really? That they're inferior? And Charlie asks, and she says, no, that you're inferior. You know, we, we, we don't mind pointing out other people's weakness and their inferiority, but when it comes to us, we don't want to talk about that. Let's just hide that. You know, and, and, and this is a... Southern thing, really southern, is I don't care how weak or messed up something may be, you are going to pretend like it didn't happen. That is a southern thing. I mean, that was growing up, I mean, the house could be falling over and they would be acting like it's okay. Um, That's the family I grew up in. Um, Yeah, Packer in the same book said this, weakness, the the weakness, the idea from first to last is that of inadequate. And we don't want to be weak. We don't want to be inadequate. But very often, we find ourselves, that's the truth. And, and, and we, even if we don't want to admit it, you know, culturally it is tough. The reality is we face weakness, whether it's physical weakness, uh, mental weakness, uh, emotional weakness, spiritual weakness. And, and we saw last week what is in large part, I think, a cause of this weakness is the, is the brokenness and the broken world that we live in causing suffering in our lives, whether physical, emotional, uh, mental, or even spiritual. It, it causes suffering in our lives, and in that there's a sense, great sense, of weakness. We all have to admit we've been at that place in our lives we just didn't know what to do. We didn't know where to turn. And, you know, if you think about it, prayer in itself is an admission to weakness, isn't it? 
to say, to have to go to God and say, I need this, or I need that, or I would like that, is to say, I don't have it, you do. So if you pray, you're admitting you're weak. But here in the text, we're told that our weakness just does, it goes beyond the general, and, and it gets really specific. It says, we're so weak, we, we don't even know how to do that. We don't even know how to pray as we should. And so we don't even know how to pray. Because in prayer unveils, even as we try to pray in our weakness and our struggle, it unveils even the de- even further depth of our weakness, for we don't even know how to bring the prayers out. We struggle. So why would we need this help? Because we're weak. We're broken. We struggle. And we don't even know how to pray. And as I, I was read, reading, discovered that this is, I think, pretty universal. I think people's... Paul's saying this is universal. He's saying we do not know how to pray. He's including himself in that. Matter of fact, even John Calvin, the great re- Protestant reformer, who talk about a spiritual giant in so many ways, confessed... That he struggled to pray sometimes. And his mind would wander. It's hard to pray. Especially when times are tough. And it's hurting. And the pain is there. And we feel weak. It's even harder to pray. And so we need the Spirit to intercede for us. So how does the Spirit intercede? What's the method here? What's, what's going on here? So number two here. Matt, uh, Bob. Mike. Sorry. How does this happen? Look in verse 26 when he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So what's amazing here is that the, the, the Holy Spirit Himself picture here steps into our situation and takes up our burdens which are described as groanings here we've already saw earlier remember we saw the creation groans and we ourselves groan as and then it likens it to groaning like if you're in childbirth so uh, relating it to the pain and the struggle of having a child I can't relate to. I've only witnessed it, but it looked pretty bad. I admit to that. Amanda did it twice with us without drugs. She's nuts. Doctors thought I was making her do it. I don't know. But the Holy Spirit steps into our situation here and, 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 enter and, be, and begins to come along. This word help is to, is to come beside somebody. It's like the picture and the way this word is used in the Greek is to come along somebody who has a, a, a burden, something they must carry, a load to take, and to come along and to grab a hold of it with them and to carry it with them. And so the Spirit comes into the situation, comes into our life, comes into our heart, and begins to, to, to take up the burden with us. And takes these groanings, and I think there's debate about who's groaning here. Is it us, or is it the Spirit? Yes, in my opinion. 
because we already described as groaning in the previous verses. But I think the Holy Spirit comes in and takes up our groanings for us. and takes them to God on our behalf. And so the, the word intercede means to, to, to take up somebody's cause. To take, a, to take somebody's cause before them. Or in a courtroom. We see this with Jesus. He intercedes for us in the throne room of God. Instead of God putting judgment on him, he stands in our place and intercedes for us. And we're told that Jesus stands at the right hand of God all the time interceding for us. Isn't that awesome? But now we're told here that the Holy Spirit indwelling us regularly interceding for us. So we have two interceders. One in the throne room of God and one right here in our hearts. Both on our behalf before God. And the picture here is to, I think, to reassure us in the midst of suffering. You're not alone. The Helper's right there with you in your groaning. He's there helping you. Even when you feel like you're alone, you feel like you don't know what to do, He is there. And the cool thing is, this picture here is that God is not up in some ivory tower somewhere, unaffected, unconcerned with our momentary sufferings. God doesn't just say, you know, like with Paul, like Paul was saying earlier, oh, it's just light and momentary. It'll pass. The glory I'm going to show you is awesome. You know, so just get over it. Just suck it up. That's not the picture here. The Holy Spirit, God Himself, Dwelling with us, helping us, interceding for us. And so, we're out of words. We don't know what to pray for. We're struggling. And all that can come out of our mouths is groaning. The Holy Spirit comes into our situation, takes up our groaning, and translates it for us to the Father. I can't help but I can't remember who this was. I was with uh, a, a mom with, with her little kid not too long ago. And the little kid um, was two or three and was beginning to talk and said something like, blah, blah, blah. You know, I have no idea what the kid said. And the mom translated it for me like it made perfect sense. And, you know, mamas are there with them. They start to understand the way that this child talks. And this, that's kind of the picture here is that, that the Holy Spirit, even when we don't know what to say, or when what we're saying doesn't even fit the situation, or we're pra- praying for the wrong thing, we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit's there, interceding, praying for us as we should. heard of one uh, story about this. As a, a father was um, walking past his five-year-old daughter's room one night, and um, uh, proudly noticed she was on her knees praying and so he you know he kind of stopped and was sneaking to watch this prayer go on and he heard uh, the little girl um, repeating a b c d e f g h i and she repeating the alphabet over and over again and so he couldn't help himself he interrupted and said you know what are you what are you doing and she says well um, god's really smart and so when I don't know what to pray, I just 
say the alphabet. I figure he'll just figure it out. And so the Holy Spirit translating, interceding for us in our weakness. Look at verse 27. He says, And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit, what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so, what you see here is very typical God described throughout the Bible as one who would search our hearts. And so the God comes searching our hearts. And what he might normally find is probably not good. But instead, he finds his spirit. And the spirit there praying for us what we should be praying. That's the picture here. And so, we have two intercessors. Two advocates before the Father. Jesus at the throne of God and the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And so, what does this mean? What is the result of this intercession? What, is it, what, is this, what does this do for us? How does this help? You know, in James uh, 5.16, pull that up for me. Says James 5.16 says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Have you ever heard that verse? I've never liked that verse because I'm not a righteous person. I figure, why pray? Because my prayers aren't going to matter much, are they? Well, what does it mean when the Holy Spirit is praying for you on your behalf? What does it mean? It means the prayers are answered. That those prayers avail much. So the God who looks at the heart knows the mind of the Spirit. And what is the mind of the Spirit? The mind of the Spirit always makes intercession on behalf of the saints according to the will of God. The point is that since the, whole, the Spirit intercedes in accordance with God's will, His prayers are always answered. And so, the, the strength we need, the power we need, the endurance we need, in our weakness, is answered. The Spirit Going before God is heard, even when we may not be, and even when we may not be understandable. So, although our spoken prayers are not always answered, the unspoken intercession of the Spirit, which accompanies our prayers, is always answered. God will not, God's will is not thwarted by our weakness in prayer. Do you struggle to pray? Do you not feel like, if I, I, I don't know what to say? It's a passage that says, it doesn't matter. Now, is it good to, to learn to pray better? Is it good to work and, and struggle at prayer? Yes. But what it's saying here is that even when we don't know how to, even when we are failing at it, it works because of His Spirit. That's great encouragement, isn't it? Is that God's will is going to be fulfilled in our lives in spite of our weakness. And so he's also saying that 
the Holy Spirit is expressing our heart's longing perfectly to the Heavenly Father. We are, even when we're desperate and speechless, God hears us. Have you been there? Are you there? I don't even, I don't even know where to start. So much. It's like the lists go on and on and on and on. And, and, it, and we get to a place, and if you've ever struggled with your children, or you've known somebody who's ill or dying, or, or you've been grieving, or you just, you've faced rejection in this life, or the suffering we feel, we, there's just times you just, you just don't know what to say, and all you can say is just a groan. And we're told that the Holy Spirit takes that before God. And God is so gracious and, and He's so sovereign. And He makes our groans without words to be understood and to prevail by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, the Spirit is helping us by bringing the right prayers in the right way to God. And those prayers will be answered. So, um, there was a um, famous uh, composer, um, concert pianist, uh, and he also became the prime minister of Poland. Now, this, they're not sure if this story is true. It could just be folklore or whatever. But apparently, uh, his name was um, uh, Paderewski, I don't know, some Polish name. And he was having a concert. Well, a, a young a, a mother uh, was, wanted to encourage her son to, to play the piano and become a musician or whatever. Brought her young son uh, to one of his concerts. And uh, as they were, um, they, you know, they, they found their seats. They really, actually were really close to the stage. And they're admiring, you know, this beautiful piano on the stage. And uh, her mother was talking to a friend nearby, and this little boy snuck away. And as, you know, the, the, the lights in the auditorium dim or whatever, she's looking around for her child, and then looks up, and to her horror, this little boy is sitting on the stage in front of this piano. And just as this famous musician comes out, he begins to clink out the tune to Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Right as the curtains, you know, are coming up and all this stuff. And the, compo- uh, the composer, musician, whatever his name is, the Polish guy, comes out to the stage and sees this kid playing in his stead. And so he quietly slips up behind this kid and whispers in his ear, keep playing. And the kid keeps clinking out, twinkle little star. And the maestro takes his left hand and starts adding a bass line to it. And then he starts adding some more notes around the other side of him. And they, they begin to play and play and play. And, it's, and then they finish and it, the, the, the crowd erupts in ovation. And what a picture, whether that's true or not, of the Holy Spirit. Here we are when we come to God in prayer and we clink out our little notes 
on the, you know, we may, probably the best I can do sometimes is like chopsticks, you know, that's my best song on the piano, is chopsticks, and the Holy Spirit comes along and begins the masterpiece, and that's the picture in this passage, and so, do you struggle to pray? Are you weak in your suffering? Do you suffer? Are you struggle? And when you don't have the words to say, to come to God and to say, I need your help. I am weak. And the Holy Spirit comes along interceding for us. So stop using the excuse, I don't know what to say when I pray. Our, one of our sons has tried to use that with us. It's, we're like, hey, you pray. You know, we try to get them to say the blessing or whatever, or pray before they go. Oh, I don't know what to say. And this passage says it doesn't matter. You're, even if you know, think you know what to say, you might be saying the wrong thing anyway. Uh, you know, if you think about what it means to pray and to converse creator of the universe a holy righteous god who knows what to say if i met some famous person you ever had that happen actually i've had that happen run into somebody famous and i was like didn't know what to say i think i said something really stupid you know and uh that's not uncommon so go to god in prayer Take your concerns, your weakness, your brokenness to Him, and the Spirit Himself will take it on your behalf before the Father. This is, in a large part, what Jesus came, lived a perfect life on your behalf, died a perfect death for you, so that you could be in Him, and the Spirit could be in you, and that he could intercede before you on, the, for the, on behalf of you before the Father at the throne of God. And the Holy Spirit could come inside of you and, and intercede in your heart on behalf. On your behalf. Now, if you're an unbeliever, you haven't confessed Jesus. Come to him. Pray to him. Say, God, I need you. I want what you've done for me in Jesus Christ. I want to believe and trust you. Help me in that. It reminds me of the first, my very first prayer. Um, I had just become a Christian, and I was encouraged I should pray. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I went into my room before I went to bed that night, and I kneeled down. And I literally said, God, I feel like I'm talking to the wall right now. But I'm supposed to do this, so I'm praying. And I don't know what else to say, so amen. I think it was something like that. And, we t- and, and, and you could say, that was terrible prayer. That was awful. But what we're told here is that the Holy Spirit comes along interceding for us even when we have no words to say or don't know what to say let's pray heavenly father we thank you so much for your grace that is shown so beautifully and clearly in this passage 
um, that we, that, that your spirit would come and help us in our weakness. That he would come interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for that intercession, uh, which is pictured so clearly in, in, the, in the shedding of your son's blood and his broken body for us, interceding for us forever on behalf of us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so, Lord, so as we come to this table...